Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we want to see you more clearly uh, and love your son more dearly. And so we long for your word to feed and nourish us now. Speak to us, we pray. By Jesus' name and strength, we ask. Amen. Well, have you ever thought to yourself, uh, just what does the kingdom of God look like? Uh, and actually, I don't even mean what does it look like physically. Uh, the Bible really doesn't treat that as important, or it would say more about it. Uh, but in terms of what it is actually like, God's word does have a lot to say about that, doesn't it? Uh, take what happens when Jesus walked the earth. What do the Gospels show us? They show us a great reversal. Uh, Jesus broke the shackles of man-made religion. He brought justice where there was injustice. He even made the sick well again. But that's not all. He commanded the wind and the waves. He forgave people their sin. He even raised the dead to life. And those who heard him and saw him at the time saw the kingdom of God reflected in the rule of its king. And Jesus came with, as we see by this great reversal, incredible authority. And he used it to overcome our greatest enemies and showed kindness beyond compare. Now, of course, we're not under any illusions. We still experience sickness, don't we? Uh, we're just as susceptible to catching or dying from COVID as anyone else. And how many of us have experienced injustice? And to keep that line of thought about not being any under, under any illusion going, how many of us have inflicted injustice on others? And yet we know the promises of God. We're a church that depends on and proclaims the promises of God that for all who trust in the Lord Jesus, in King Jesus, in the Son of David, our enemies have been defeated. We are no longer servants of the cruel master of sin. Instead, and through the Son of David, we experience the extraordinary kindness of God. Rescue and relationship. That is our confidence now, today, already. But there is a time to come when we will see it in all its fullness. The war has already been won. But there are still outbreaks and battles now. And what the future holds and our longing to see it is good. It is very good. As John saw in his vision, written in Revelation chapter 21 uh, from verse 3, uh, everything that is not good will be laid to rest. And John says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any more mourning or crying or pain or death for the old order of things has passed away. 
Now the kingdom of God and its king, they were foreshadowed long before Jesus arrived on the scene. And we're reading it here today as we read through 2 Samuel because what came before in the life of Israel and King David is given for you and I. And it allows us to see more clearly just what we've been rescued from and the relationship we've been rescued to. At the same time, it's a part of the Bible that challenges us in our decision. The decision of how are we responding to God's king? Are you holding out against him or humbling yourself before him? 2 Samuel chapter 8 comes after the incredible promises of God that we heard last week in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And what we see here in this chapter is God's king defeats his people's enemies. This chapter isn't necessarily placed here chronologically like uh, that all these things happened at once, but captures so many of David's victories in one place. Drawing together the evidence that what God had promised David in 2 Samuel 7 verses 10 and 11 would happen, did in fact happen. God's king would defeat God's enemies and his people would have rest from their attacks. Now the enemies listed here in chapter 8, it's a who's who of the nations that surrounded Israel and had threatened and attacked Israel her people down through history. Uh, there's a map here, uh, let me see if I can uh, picture it for you, the Philistines in verse 1 on the map in the red to the west, the Moabites were defeated, verse 2 in purple to the southeast, the king of Zobad in verse 3 off the map to the far northeast, the Arameans in verse 5 in green to the northeast and in verse 12 Edom in yellow to the south, the Ammonites in orange to the east and the Amalekites off the map to the south. And the headline for it all, it's repeated twice in the chapter in fact, it's there in verse 6 and verse 14, the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. God's king has authority not only to rule God's people, but the Lord in his wisdom gives such authority that he overpowers even the greatest enemy of God's people. So his people may live in relationship with him the way he always intended. Do you see the similarity here? with what we read in Psalm 2. Psalm 2, it's a great psalm, uh, the psalm of God's king, uh, one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, in fact, and, and the picture it paints in verses 1 to 9 of the enemies of God is them being dashed to pieces like a hammer blow to pottery, revealing that God's king rules not just over his uh, enemies, but over all the nations of the earth as well. In the words of promise from chapter 7, of God as his father and he as God's son, he said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the Lord says, the ends of the earth your possession. 
as David points us to Jesus. He's not, Jesus is not the wouldn't say boo to a mouse kind of Jesus that some people imagine or the impotent Jesus that others mock. He is the powerful ruler, able to break the power of our enemies, those enemies of sickness and death and sin. We may still now experience them in some form in this life, but as the king has risen to the throne through his resurrection from the dead, so the days of their cruel reign are numbered and subject to him. Do you believe this? Just to be clear too, remember here the way salvation history plays out in the Old Testament where the enemies of God's people are the other peoples who physically attack them, who worship false gods and who would lead them away from the true God who, given half a chance, in fact, would lead them to death. As the Bible progresses through the life of the nation of Israel, it shifts from these more external enemies of the nations to those which we can never escape because they come from within, of our own sin and its consequences in sickness and in death and in the judgment of God. We could also notice before we leave chapter 8 in verse 13 how David's name became great as again God promised in chapter 7, or in what seems like an aside at the end of the chapter in verses 15 to 17, we need to see how God's king brings order, uh, brings those things that are needed for people to live in peace in society. As we read in verse 15 in particular, David reigned over all Israel doing what was just and right for all his people. We all know governments, and for all that we may see is wrong with them, we enjoy some of the best government in the world. But can our governments be relied on to do what is just and right for all the people? Jesus can. Jesus can. Now, we're not going to get to chapter 10 today, uh, albeit on the theme of chapter 8 as it is. Uh, We're heading straight to chapters 11 and 12 next week, but before we do, I do want us to look and see more of the character of God's king as we see it unfold in 2 Samuel 9. And what it shows us and why it's here is so we'll see God's king shows kindness to his people. Reading from 9 verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Uh, And then again in verse 3, the king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? As we've recalled before, Saul had tried to kill David and David had been given Saul's throne after him. So the normal expectation of how this would uh, be for David to ask, is there anyone from Saul's house so that I may, well, it would be so that I may kill him and secure my throne from his claims. But that's not David's plan because of his relationship 
and of the promise he made to Jonathan back in 1 Samuel. He wants to show kindness to Saul and to Jonathan's descendants, if any remain. And this kindness, this language that's used here and in verse 7, it's used to describe the Lord God again and again. Speaking of his steadfast love, speaking of his extraordinary grace. And here is the Lord's King wishing to show that same kindness to one who could be considered his enemy. Well, if you read on in the chapter, there is a son of Jonathan who remains alive. His name is Mephibosheth. He came up earlier in 2 Samuel when his carers were trying to hide him, but instead dropped him, making him lame in both feet. And so surely there was nothing about Mephibosheth that would deserve David's kindness. And yet how wonderfully on, in his condition, both lame and fatherless, is it that David does show his kindness. So Mephibosheth is brought before the king and when he comes, he comes humbly and he bows down before David to honour David. And what does David say? Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore you and all, to all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will always eat at my table. This is how God's king rules while he defeats the enemies of God's people, he likewise extends extraordinary kindness. And not only does Mephibosheth have his lands returned, he's given a far greater honour than that. It's there in verse 7, he would eat at David's table. He's given the privilege of access and relationship of the openness and oneness that comes from sharing, sharing meals together. And it's so significant. This is so important. And what it is conveying is so important that it's repeated not twice, not three times, but four times. In verse 7, as we read, in verse 10 and verse 11 and verse 13, where if the honour in itself isn't clear enough, we read in verse 11, 11 Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of his sons. Do you know what to know what the the do you know what we need to know the kingdom of God looks like it looks like this and you are invited where Jesus the heir of David who rules according to the promise of David as a son of David for all time he is so extravagant in his kindness that we who were his enemies who had actually railed against him and his reign over us and had nothing to offer him in return for his kindness, not wealth or wisdom or influence or loveliness. He welcomes us into his household and not as slaves or servants, but as sons and daughters. 
The kingdom of God isn't about rules or riches or self-interest. It's about moving from ruin to relationship. We have the privilege of access to the king, the great king over all, enjoying all the benefits of his powerful rule and living daily by his immeasurable kindness. And if all of us began as enemies of God, what is the difference between those who will experience ruin and those of us who will enjoy this relationship? It's how you respond to the Son. As we heard read in Psalm 2 uh, from verse 10, Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the Son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the Son. It's a picture of an ambassador in the throne room of a ruler showing their nation's allegiance. Kiss the son. Come before him in awe and humility. Set aside any delusions you may have of your own authority, your loveliness or worthiness or innocence and submit your life to him. Because blessed are all who take refuge in him. At the moment, we're living in very strange times. Restrictions have been running here now for 10 weeks and we've got quite a few more weeks to go. All of us are experiencing an abnormal amount of isolation and some of us are feeling it more acutely than others. But all of us may have this confidence. God's kindness is not overcome by what happens to us today or what might befall us this year. Even if we were to catch COVID or indeed when we succumb to whichever sickness will be our last they cannot overcome God's king or stop us from experiencing the powerful and kind rule of his kingdom. Even the wretchedness of our own sin before God, which stains our lives and cannot by us be washed clean, it cannot prevail over him. His kindness is undefeatable. And as we've seen it now, already, in the age to come, we will see it fully and we will be with him. Praise God for that. I'll lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, we do thank you for David and the place and the responsibility and the authority that you gave him, not to serve his own interests, but to serve the interests of your people. 
that his authority was so extensive but points us to the one who is second to none, the Lord Jesus, king not just over a nation but over all nations. We praise and thank you that his strength is dependable, that it is powerful and that it is used toward us in kindness. Remind us of these things, we pray, today and each day as we live for him, as we kiss the Son. Amen.